3: Welcome in Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, always want to remind you that AutoZone, your car's needs now come with a reward with the AutoZone Rewards Program. Spend $20 five times and earn a $20 reward. So sign up today, get in the zone, AutoZone. There were no NBA games last night. There were no NHL games last night. There are both tonight, including Game 7 in the NHL, as well as the always intriguing LeBron James drama with the Cavs going back on the road against the Celtics. But also yesterday, news emerged that Colin Kaepernick's long national nightmare of not being employed may finally be potentially coming to a close as the Seattle Seahawks were reported to have worked out the quarterback in Seattle. And uh, so we will be monitoring that situation as the show progresses in the event that there is any major news breaking there. Maybe Pete Carroll going to finally rescue Colin Kaepernick from the oblivion of NFL free agency. Maybe the crazily obsessed, the left-wing sports media that has been so obsessed with Colin Kaepernick and whether or not he is employed is finally going to have an end to their story. Colin Kaepernick, obviously, if it happens, would back up Russell Wilson. We have talked about this a great deal on the show. In fact, when I ran through the potential NFL teams that it made sense to sign Colin Kaepernick, I lit on the Seahawks because Pete Carroll has embraced players who might have quote-unquote distractions off the field. He seems to be a happy warrior, Carroll does. He has a reliable quarterback in Russell Wilson. It's a reliable quarterback who at times scrambles with the football. So Colin Kaepernick could fit. You've got the city of Seattle, which is by and large – as NFL cities go, a fairly left wing city that would be more likely to embrace, I believe, Colin Kaepernick as in as as San Francisco did to a certain extent as well. than a city like, let's say, Houston or Nashville or Jacksonville or a place where the culture is just substantially different than uh, that would support a player who kneeled during the National Anthem. So we'll see whether or not there potentially is going to be a resolution there. In the meantime, two pretty interesting actual games taking place on the field, and we're going to talk to John Morosi about one of them, the Pittsburgh Penguins against the Ottawa Senators. One of the most exciting elements in all of sports, honestly, is potentially going to be the question, what will happen in Game 7? Who will play the Nashville Predators next? But... The real drama out there, I think, in terms of the national sporting interest when it comes to games themselves, is LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers, going back on the road against Boston. Golden State Warriors have their feet kicked up. They have 10 days off between their starting off the season 12-0 and and when they would begin the NBA Finals on Thursday, June 1st. This is a game, I believe, that the Cavs desperately need to win for this reason. Rest. LeBron James is 32 years old and as good as he has been in the playoffs. The past couple of games, he has not been that great. If the Cavs can win this game on the road against the Celtics, it will be their third win on the road in Boston Garden. They would eliminate, obviously, the Celtics and have the opportunity to get basically a week's rest. Six days worth of rest, which given the fact that they swept their first two series, they should be a fairly rested team. Now, not as rested as the Warriors, but close. If they get that win, then they don't have to worry about the possibility of coming back to Cleveland with a game to play up only 3 2, because then I think the pressure shifts significantly to the Cavs. If for some reason the Celtics could win this game, and make it a 3-2 series. And certainly since Isaiah Thomas has been injured, the Celtics have been very competitive. If they could find a way to get a win in this game and force it back to Cleveland, then all of a sudden Cavs fans are going to be sitting around saying, "Uh uh-oh, well, we've seen what happened before with a 3-1 series lead in a situation just like this, right? You're up 3-1, you go on the road, you get an unexpected victory like the Celtics would to make it 3-2, You go back home and get an opportunity to close it out. I'm just saying, not saying it's going to happen, but just saying a little bit of nerve-wracking situation there with a 3-1 lead, and more importantly, even if you close them out in a sixth game, you're extending and prolonging the amount of work that you have to do while the Warriors are sitting there, who Vegas says are a substantially better team, are sitting there just relaxing. I made the argument yesterday, I'll continue to reinforce it to me, Warriors are going to win this series in five games. And a 16-1 and one Warriors team, which is coming off a 67-win regular season, would, to me, be the best NBA team of all time. So that is the story that's hanging out there in the NBA. What exactly will happen? Colin Kaepernick continued dance around his free agency. I said before, the most overcovered story in the history of American sports free agents in the 21st century is what is going to happen with Colin Kaepernick. But at least we may finally have some resolution there. And unless he decides to start kneeling for the national anthem again to say, hey, look at me, hey, look at me, he probably, unless something bad happens to Russell Wilson, would not really play throughout the entirety of the 2017 football season. But at least he'd be employed in the NFL. Meanwhile, Game 7, I have loved the NHL playoffs so far this year. The Pittsburgh Penguins have already won one game seven. Can they do it again? It's a fantastic question. I don't know the answer. I'm not 100% sure. You don't know the answer. You're not 100% sure. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen in the NHL. That is also going to be going on at the same time as game five in the NBA. We finally have games again. Last night, there was nothing And that's why the Colin Kaepernick story has exploded to such a degree. Now, let's be honest. My wife rarely comments on the content of this show. She reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and she said, I'm so sick of hearing about Colin Kaepernick. Would you please stop talking about him? And everybody out there right now is probably nodding their heads like, I'm sick of hearing about Colin Kaepernick. Your actions don't reflect it. Okay, this is like when people said, oh, I'm tired of hearing about Tim Tebow. Oh, I'm tired of hearing about Brett Favre. Why do you talk about LeBron James so much? Everybody says they're tired of it, but then you actually look at what people are clicking on and what they're reading and what they're paying attention to, and Colin Kaepernick's moving the needle. So I hope, personally, that Colin Kaepernick signs with the Seattle Seahawks, ends his protest, and nobody talks about him for the rest of the year. That Russell Wilson is healthy, that Russell Wilson doesn't miss any games, And that the Seahawks have whatever kind of season they're going to have, and they have a backup quarterback, and we don't talk about him at all. Because that's what typically happens with backup quarterbacks in the NFL, right? I can't remember the last backup quarterback that was a major story. Hell, we only really talk about the top 14 or 15 quarterbacks in the NFL because those are the only guys that are capable of contending for championships. Certainly, Russell Wilson is one of those guys, one of the top 10 or 15 quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think that Russell Wilson, given his contract status, is going to be looking over the shoulder saying, I'm worried about Colin Kaepernick behind me. I think that Pete Carroll has proven during his time at USC, as well as his time with the Seahawks, that he kind of embraces coaching in the whirlwind of distraction that signing a player like Colin Kaepernick can bring. So if that happens, maybe it'll happen during the course of this show. Maybe it won't. Maybe Colin Kaepernick is not going to be signed. Maybe the Seahawks will decide to go in a different direction because they don't like the way he works out. Who knows exactly what the final story will be here, but we will keep you updated, and I personally cannot wait until Colin Kaepernick gets signed so we never have to talk about him again. That's my hope. Whether or not it's going to happen or not, we will see. Again, Kaepernick reported to be visiting the Seattle Seahawks. We said early on in this show that would be the destination that potentially makes the most sense for him. We have a loaded show for you. Coming up next, John Morosi, We're going to break down Game 7 of the NHL, also dive into the Major League Baseball situation. What's going on with the NL West? Is Aaron Judge potentially going to be able to become the next great Yankee superstar? And also, will Aaron Judge become the next great Yankee superstar? And a question that I read about and I'm kind of fascinated by, why is Mike Trout, who seems to do everything right playing for the LA Angels, still a little bit under the radar? Bryce Harper obviously gets more attention with the Nationals uh, on the other side of the country. He's a lot different of a player, but what is it about Mike Trout that basically makes him, even though he seems to do everything right, not the household name that you would anticipate a guy of his success being? We'll talk about all that with John Morosi. But obviously, the story of the day drumbeat, please. What in the world is going to happen with Colin Kaepernick? I bring in Jason Martin to ask this question. Jason Martin, are you prepared for the Colin Kaepernick drama to be over? Do you think if he signs with Seattle, this story effectively ends?
4: Hell no. Like, of course, it's not going to end because, and it's not just because people need to fill space on websites and everything else. It's because people are rooting for this guy because they see him as Rosa Parks and Muhammad Ali rolled into one. Some people are, yeah. Well, some people. I mean, not this radio show, but there are a whole lot of people at the four letter that are counting on this. There are people. What's the weirdest thing to me about it is the analytics guys, like people at Football Outsiders and, and some of these guys, are doing their best to show how Colin Kaepernick is such a great quarterback. And then you go and you look at their Twitter feeds. I've looked at a couple of them. And on those Twitter feeds, you just see these guys making political comment after political comment after political comment, retweeting everything from the nation, from Mother Jones, all this anti-Trump stuff. It's like, you an analytics guy or do you have an agenda? Because your numbers aren't supposed to have feelings, but that's apparently all you're doing.
3: Yeah, it is uh, really Pretty fascinating to see how this has played out. And in particular, this ties in with what will be our Hour 3 guest. If you're listening on the podcast, go download the podcast, Outkick the Coverage, millions of downloads. You guys are loving what we're doing here. In Hour 3, we've got a guy who's going to talk about what we see as the increasing politicization of sports and what kind of impact it is having in terms of viewership, in terms of data. He's looked at ESPN's numbers across 43 different markets and he has an intriguing finding for us about what talking about sports and politics all the time from a left-wing perspective actually can do. Obviously, that all ties in with Colin Kaepernick, but up next, it's going to be John Morosi breaking down the NHL and also breaking down Major League Baseball, and you guys are not going to want to miss it. Game seven doesn't get much better than game seven in the NHL. Anything can happen. The Penguins have already had one of them. What will happen tonight, and also what are the Nashville Predators going to be able to do is the worst-case scenario out there for the NHL and Ottawa Senators against Nashville Predators matchup. Ooh, that sounds awful. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. We bring in our guy, John Morosi, now. He is double-dipping. He's covering the NHL, and he's covering Major League Baseball. He joins us weekly. And, John, let's start with the NHL. You were at the Preds-Ducks game six when the Preds clinched their spot in the Stanley Cup final. What was the environment like from your perspective?
5: Clay, one of the best I've ever seen in sports. It was that great. It was that intense. And one thing that uh, you know that maybe uh, a lot of listeners around the country don't know is, is that we have seen, and we saw it multiple times in Game 6, Predators fans giving thunderous standing ovations throughout television timeouts for the full two-plus minutes, which, Clay, I've been lucky to see a lot of great games in a lot of great places. I've never seen that before. And we saw that multiple times where just whether the score was tied, uh, whether the Ducks had momentum in that particular game, the crowd would stand up and just urge their team on through the TV timeout, when literally nothing was happening, uh, and they were still screaming. So it, it just shows you how passionate the fans are of Nashville for sports in general, for their city, but specifically this hockey team. It, it really is a remarkable triumph. And then it, I thought it was very poignant at the end, Clay, the fact that as, as the Preds gathered on, on center ice for the, the classic photo with the Clarence Campbell Bowl given to the Western Conference champion, they wanted to wait for that last photo, for Ryan Johansson to limp out there and join his teammates, of course, he had emergency surgery last week uh, for acute compartment syndrome, which, if not treated properly, can cost you a limb. So it was a really uh, frightening time for him last week. Uh, he, he's doing better, though, and I thought it was just a, a really poignant picture of a hockey team. He's there. Fisher, Mike Fisher, the captain, was injured. Uh, he was there in a suit with his hat, uh, the celebratory hat. Uh, Kevin Fiala limps out there on a, on a crutch, so... This team was weary, uh, but they willed themselves to Western Conference Championship.
3: Tonight, Game 7. One of these teams is going to be playing the Predators in the Stanley Cup Finals. Game 7 in hockey, tough to beat. The Pittsburgh Penguins have already been in one Game 7. They went on the road and they won against the Washington Capitals. Now they're hosting the Ottawa Senators, Pittsburgh the defending Stanley Cup champion. Game 7, what do you expect to see in that game?
5: Clay, it's hard to say because this series has not gone according to conventional wisdom really in any way. We've seen dramatic momentum swings in both directions. Um, I would tell you that Pittsburgh has to be the favorite entering this game. They're on home ice. They are the defending cup champions. As you point out, they won a game seven uh, on the road actually earlier in these playoffs against the Washington Capitals. So we've seen them already uh, have their medal tested and, and prevail. But the Ottawa Senators, give them credit. I mean, they have been able to come back from this series. It looked like uh, after having a lopsided loss in Game 5 that they were done, Uh, and they very clearly weren't. And this is a team, play that when you look at the big picture here, what they have overcome as a group. And Craig Anderson, of course, uh, was familiar with the story about his wife battling cancer. He had to leave the team for a period of time. During the course of the year to help her, um, it, it just—it really is an amazing human story. And and I think sometimes, Clay, we do see it in sports where where you look at the two rosters and even the Penguins with their uh, with their injuries that they've had that have really diminished their depth uh, with Latang being out in particular. He's such an important defenseman for them um, that, that you still look at it and say, well, Pittsburgh probably has the, the greater talent level, but Ottawa is a true team. And uh, I mentioned Anderson with what he has gone through. Uh, Clark MacArthur coming back from concussions to be a contributor for them in the playoffs. Um, th- there is a special quality that Ottawa team um, that I think has allowed them a-, a certain level of resiliency in this series and in this season. And, um, and it's, a- it's been an amazing story. They've written in Ottawa, uh, Ontario this year. And I- it would not surprise me at all if, uh, if they stunned the hockey world and-, and find a way to win game seven, even in Pittsburgh.
3: So who would be favored then, no matter who wins Game 7? Are the Preds the underdog against either Ottawa or Pittsburgh? Does it matter whether it Ottawa or Pittsburgh wins? In your mind, who's the favorite in Game in the, in the Stanley Cup Finals?
5: Clay, it's a great question. Because um, you would say, and the Preds have made the, the, the statement and sort of had the underdog mentality throughout the, the playoffs. And of course, as we know, uh, they, they are now one of only two teams that have either had the lowest point total or tied for the lowest point total of any team in a playoff season to then go on and make the Cup final. The previous one uh, was the 2010 Philadelphia Flyers, coached by the very same man, Peter Laviolette. How about that as an amazing career for Peter Laviolette to now bring a third team to a Cup final? Which, by the way, is the first. He's the first American-born coach to ever do that in National Hockey League history. So, Clay, big picture from, from that standpoint, the Preds sweep the Blackhawks. They, they beat the Blues in six. They beat, the, they beat the Ducks in six. To me, they have earned the right to be on equal footing with anybody that they face, they face in the final. Uh, to me, that they, uh, they may say they're an underdog or have that be their mentality, and perhaps it's true given what I referenced about their point total during the regular season and the fact that they're without Ryan Johansson, the fact that they're without Kevin Fiala, certainly at the very least in, in this series. Um, but this is a team that has proven its metal. Time and time again, uh, you don't, in my estimation, Clay. When you sweep the Blackhawks, who everybody thought was the the overwhelming favorite to win the Western Conference, you're not un, you are no longer an underdog. I mean that that to me they they were done being an underdog before the last, actually probably before the second round of this uh, of this playoff run. So uh, I, I think that what we've seen from the Preds is they have shown their own depth they've got, I believe, the best goaltender left in these playoffs in Arena, no matter what happens in Game 7. Uh, so for me, Clay, the, the Predators, I know it sounds crazy, uh, but I, they'll be my pick no matter who they play, because I, I've seen it, I've seen how mobile their defensive core is. And also, they have emerged through, I think, the tougher route. The Western Conference is a much more physical playoffs, I believe, than the East. Um, so that, that can go one of two ways. Either they're going to be tired uh, weary by the by the, the the really tough road they've had, or they are they are more battle tested than than their opponent in the final. It really could go either way. We did see last year where the Sharks just did not have the legs to skate with the Penguins in the Cup final, and Pittsburgh won that series in six. I think Nashville can skate a little better, especially on the back end with the likes of uh, Ekholm and Subban and Yossi and Ellis. So I, I think that their their defensive core, Nashville's D core, has been their trademark and must continue to be because I think their forward group has been really decimated by the injury. So they're going to have to have some new heroes every night in the cup final as they did with Colton Sissons' first career playoff hat trick there
3: in game six. We're talking to John Morosi, Okay, the obvious question here is how desperate is the NHL for the Pittsburgh Penguins to win this series in terms of overall viewership? Because is there a worse matchup in the NHL in terms of like casual fans coming in than Predators against Senators? Nashville well, versus it's a great
5: Ottawa. That's yeah, a great question, Clay. And here's how I would answer that. Uh, to me, the Penguins certainly are are a big TV draw in, in in our country, in the U.S. I mean, they are among the teams that move the needle. Uh, Pittsburgh moved the needle. Chicago traditionally has Detroit, cert- you know, certainly traditionally has moved the needle as well from a standpoint of TV ratings. But I, I also think that if you're a hockey fan. Um, this is a series that will appeal to you no matter what. I, I, I think you're right. Will we'll more people watch it if it's if it's Pittsburgh uh, Nashville? Than if it's Ottawa National, yes, there's no question about that. That is a that is a clear fact because when you think about just the sheer, as you well know, Clay, uh, the, the, the sheer issues of a uh, market-driven uh, TV ratings where where Ottawa is not a home market in the U.S. So NBC certainly is the NBC is hoping that it's, a, it's it's two American teams as opposed to one American team and one Canadian team. But I also think from a standpoint of the overall story, Nashville is an amazing story. Ottawa. Because of the story that I mentioned with Anderson, MacArthur, Eric Carlson, maybe the best player. One of the, I mean, certainly he's the best defenseman. He might be one of the best three players on the on the planet of any position. Uh, he is a great story. So individually, if you love hockey. You will love this series if it's Ottawa against Nashville. I understand that there's certainly the the, uh, the American perspective where you, you would want two American teams if you're the TV network. But I also think big picture, it's at some point in time, Clay, it's going to be it's going to be interesting for the sport to have a Canadian based team win the Cup, which has not happened since the Montreal Canadiens in 1993. Wow! So Canada Canada is really uh, their star for a Cup winner. Certainly, they have won Olympic gold. Uh, Since 1993 on on, uh, three different occasions, so they've had some some big triumphs for their country in hockey since then. But 1993, Clay, is a long time ago, and I think that there is a great yearning, I think, on the part of certainly fans in Ottawa very clearly. But I I would imagine a great many fans across Canada, they want to see one of their teams win the Stanley Cup, which, again, has not happened in in really a generation.
3: We're going to have to go to trending now, but then we're going to come back with you, John Morosi, because we haven't even asked you about baseball. This is when you're double dipping doing NHL and Major League Baseball. You got too many opinions. So we're going to bring you back on the flip side here for Major League Baseball. But first, uh, let's go to trending now. Welcome back Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part figuring out which way is easier as well. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over 3 grand off MSRP whether you're looking for a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car-buying experience. This, obviously, a confident show because we got John Morosi on with us right now. He just broke down everything in the NHL as we get ready for Game 7. And by the way, if you're an NHL fan, I don't know how many shows are going to be talking a lot of NHL nationwide, so you should be saying, hey, that Clay Travis, I'll keep the coverage. Unbelievably, he's covering the NHL aggressively. Also, you're covering Major League Baseball. John, what's standing out? I read a great article in New York Times, and we've talked a little bit about this uh, a few different times, about Mike Trout and how he should be an unbelievable, bonafide superstar nationwide. And instead, even though he plays in Anaheim, which is close to the major media market of L.A., I mean, out there in Orange County, it's like he falls under the radar a little bit. Are we underrepresenting Mike Trout relative to what he's accomplished at his age and at his skill level in baseball?
5: Yes, we are. (laughs) We, we, We very clearly are, Clay, for the reasons that you just pointed out, really is a couple different reasons. But number one, you're right. Uh, In in talking about Orange County, uh, it's close to L.A., and the team is named L.A., but uh, it's not really a major market. I know it sounds kind of funny but uh, with all the people that live in Orange County, but it it really is not uh, sort of the iconic big city brand of the Dodgers or, or you want to say, in in the same area of the country, the Lakers. It's, It's not as though he is Kobe. Um, It's not as even though he is Derek Jeter, even though the numbers say that actually regular season performance wise, he has surpassed what Jeter did for the Yankees. He's been better, Uh, but uh, he has not had, uh, he's never won a playoff series. He has played only three games in the playoffs. He did not play well in that, in that series. So until he gets to the playoffs on a consistent basis um, and has that great shining um, moment, uh, in 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 October, I think that we're not really going to see him get the recognition he deserves. You may actually say, Clay. Here, here's the odd thing, and I think it's actually true though. If you polled uh, certain sort of casual sports fan demographics, um, maybe viewers of Dancing with the Stars, and, and and certainly more mainstream programming in the U.S., David Ross may well be more recognizable right now than Mike Trout. Truly. He might be, and, and among certain demographics, because that, that that is more of a sort of an overall population type of a show. Um, and, and the success he had, how personable David is. He just won the World Series with the Cubs. He is he has such a great. We're play. actually going to have him World on the Series.
3: show, plug plug yeah. Friday. So there you go. I We're going to have David That's Ross that. on the show tomorrow. Yeah, nice job by you.
5: Yes, tell tell, well, tell David I, I send my regards because he's one of the great people in the game. But he has such a David has such a natural, and you're going to see this, and the listeners will uh, hear this. Just such a natural way about him, where he, he is he is he's just so relatable. David Ross is one of the great people in, in sports, and I think Mike Trout I, he has not seemed to quite resonate, whether it's personality wise, whether it's uh, where he plays on, on the West Coast, he hasn't quite struck that same heartstring. In the, in the U.S. yet, and maybe he will one day. Maybe it's just a matter of success, but he hasn't quite done that yet where he has become a, a fixture in uh, dinner table conversation in the, in this country. I think for baseball it would be helpful if he did, but it, that, that's something that you can't force. Derek Jeter was just ready to do that. He played for the Yankees. He was someone that I think everybody in the country could relate to. I think Mike Trout just is, is someone who, for, for whatever reason, has not quite gotten there yet. And uh, I think some success for the Angels would help, uh, and I think maybe just more exposure of him and around the country would help. But I think right now, clay in baseball, being at such a regional sport, I think that's a very difficult thing to happen unless you have, unless you're part of a transcendent thing like the Cubs winning the World Series.
3: The Cubs did win the World Series, but right now they're twenty three and twenty one ish. Right, they really haven't taken that next step. They're hanging right around five hundred. They have been all season a quarter of the way into the season. Is there something wrong with Chicago? Is this 500-ish record an aberration? Do you see them being able to make a run and actually defend their title?
5: I expect they'll make it to the playoffs, Clay. I'm not sure if they're going to win it, though. I've seen certain signs. I mean, All the earmarks are there. For the uh, for the uh, or the hallmarks, I should say, for the World Series hangover, the pitching hasn't been quite as good. The offense hasn't been quite as productive. They're still okay. They're they're still playing competent baseball, as you point out. They're still right around five hundred, but they have not really played to their capability. They they have they have kept themselves in the race. Um, the Cardinals have worked their way back into the race. The Brewers have been a big surprise in the National League Central. No one is questioning the talent level for the Cubs. They are still, I believe, the most talented team in the majors. But uh, they're about 80%. It's almost like across the board. If you look at the batting averages or the OPS, the home runs, whatever you want to say on the offensive side, the pitching, the ERAs, the strikeouts, however you want to describe it, they're they're clicking at about eighty percent capacity right now, about, of, of their usual level, and uh, I think that that's that's basically as simple as you can say. It. Maybe there is a maybe there is a bit of a, a, a training uh, from an off season standpoint. You're not quite able to do your normal. Routine when you play until November for the for basically almost the second straight year because they reached the NLCS the previous year. They've played a lot of baseball collectively. Their pitchers have thrown a lot of innings uh, collectively, and I think that we're just seeing that bill starting to come due. I expect they'll, they'll find a way to get things sparked. But if I was the Cubs, if I was Theo Epstein, if I was Jed Hoyer, one thing I would look for is, is that player uh, from the standpoint of a trade who maybe hasn't won the World Series before – who is really hungry and who is immensely respected, and is someone that you can inject into your room? That not not that your clubhouse needs to have any sort of change to it, but but I think that when you've got a lot of the same guys that have won the World Series, there there maybe is that that, that need for a bit of a freshness to them. So I'm not sure who that player is, but but I, I look at the, and, and to use the hockey comparison, we see it so many times where teams that have won the Cup they like to switch it out and have somebody that hasn't won it be part of their club because it really helps remind the guys in the rest of the room how hard it is and how important it is to keep striving for it and I think that uh, that's a type of trade that if I were the Cubs I would look at making in
3: the month of July John Morosi, the NL West Colorado Arizona and the Dodgers are all incredibly hot to start the season when you look at their overall records is that the best division in baseball or are they all going to fade
5: The East uh, and the American League, Clay, to me, is still the best division in the game. I I still think you look at the way that uh, the Yankees have bounced back and the Red Sox have been a little bit uh, disappointing, I think, for them so far. But the Orioles uh, remain such a competitive ball club in so many ways. So I still think the East and the American League is the most competitive division. But I have been really impressed by the Rockies. And they're staying power. Actually, the Rockies, as we speak here, they have the best record in the National League in the month of May. So they have, they have been able to withstand. There were a lot of questions about them at the end of April. Well, it's, it's one good month. It's Coors Field. Uh, the pitchers are going to come back down to earth for sure. Well, they've got four rookie pitchers who have been really good for them um, in the rotation. In fact, I believe at this point in time, in terms of wins above replacement at Fangraphs.com, they have four of the top ten pitchers in the National League right now uh, with the likes of Kyle Freeland, Antonio Sensatella, Paramount Marquez and Jeff Hoffman have all been very good. So they've got a nice young rotation. There's always a question about the sustainability there, but the Rockies, we know they can hit Clay, and right now they're pitching as well. So that they've been, I think, one of the quietly impressive stories of baseball in 2017. And the Diamondbacks, Zach Greinke is now being the guy they thought he was going to be when they signed him before last season. So I think it's been two really good stories Uh, for two of those 1990s-era expansion franchises, very much back in the conversation as the Giants have oddly fallen off to one of the bottom two spots in the National League West.
3: Last question for you, and we're talking to John Morosi. What do you think about Aaron Judge? He's got his own fan section now in Yankee Stadium. Derek Jeter, kind of the handoff. I read New York Times, they're like, could Aaron Judge be the next Jeter? I mean, everybody wants to find the next Jeter, right? Uh, Is he sustainable? Is he for real? What, for everybody out there who may not know him, he's got some staying power potentially in terms of just charisma. Is he good for baseball? Can he maintain anything like the pace that he's on right now?
5: Great for baseball, Clay, and yes, I believe he can maintain it. There was a great piece written recently by Jeff Passant at Yahoo about, about judging his personality and, and and Jeff even talking about how... He was won over over the course of uh, speaking with Judge personally and uh, how he may, might have initially scoffed at the comparisons between Judge and Derek and Jeter, but now he believes in them. So, again, it was a great read from Jeff at Yahoo. Uh, I, I do think that uh, Judge has a very interesting way about him. I think he's got a great presence about him, uh, raised by adoptive parents who, who just are phenomenal people that, that have really just molded uh, a phenomenal young man. So I, I'm just very impressed by what I have seen and heard from Aaron Judge in the past. And, again, one thing I'll tell you as well, Clay, is you look at the way that uh, that baseball works now, how rapidly you see scouting occur and adjustments occur within a sport. Um, and, and, to me, that adjustment that we used to talk about, like the sophomore year, the sophomore slump or whatever it is, that happens in like your second week (laughs) because the scouting is so good. The information travels so quickly that if you're able to, to sustain something over two months, even as judge has, that's almost like being able to do it for two years as you did in the past. So that to me is, is showing that you have the ability to make adjustments that you can withstand the test of time in this short attention span, hyper information era in which we live. So the information from a scouting standpoint, Clay is out teams know what Judge is trying to do they know what they want to do to get him out and he is still having success so I've been very impressed with him very impressed with, with about the way he goes about things the way he handles the media the way he handles himself how respectful he is around his, his teammates so uh Aaron Judge uh, I'm sold uh, and I think that we're seeing increasingly even in the uh, sort of the, the, the New York media the national media which can be tough to maybe sometimes win over he is doing that. So uh, phenomenal young man, very impressed by him on and off the field. And I think that Aaron Judge is here to stay, Clay, as a superstar for Major League Baseball.
3: Outstanding stuff, as always. John Morosi. enjoy Game 7 tonight, and we'll talk to you, I'm sure, once the Stanley Cup Finals get off and rolling.
6: Sounds great,
5: Clay. It's, a, it's an amazing time of year for my two favorite sports, so we're very lucky to be talking about both of them with you here this morning.
3: Go follow John Morosi at John Morosi on Twitter. I am Clay Travis. Animal Thunderdome news, really. Up next here on OutKick, the coverage. Notorious B.I.G. bringing us back here on this Thursday morning live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. Quick way you could save money, switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. I teased it already. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's the most popular segment we do on the show. It's called The Animal Thunderdome, and it sounds a little something like this.
7: Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying time's here.
0: This is Animal Thunderdome. Thunderdome.
3: I'm going to start here. Jason Martin also has his animal Thunderdome news. As always, you can reach out to us. A bear with a sweet tooth ripped off the bumper of a car used to deliver donuts in Colorado, then tried to claw its way through the trunk to get inside. Moose Watch Cafe owner Kim Robertson said she and her husband discovered the bumperless car after they awoke in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. By the way, Steamboat Springs, that's where uh, Vern Lundquist lives. They initially thought it had been struck by another vehicle. Then they saw the claw and paw marks. Quote, that car just constantly smells like a rolling bakery. It's like Winnie the Pooh with honey. No donuts, but there were some aprons. The bear made a valiant attempt at clawing away the insulation to get to the sweet smell. That, my friends, sounds a little bit dangerous. And if you are in the state of Missouri right now, a 20-foot python is on the loose. As always happens when a 20-foot python escapes, this is pretty amazing. The guy says uh, he thought he had built a cage that was impossible for his 20-foot python to get out. Instead, the python found a small hole. And look, I don't know about you, but a 20-foot python seems like it would be a decent-sized hole. And the the, the guy says, "Don't worry." This python's going to be completely uh, completely safe. And then he says he's not going to be a threat to humans. But then he also says, now I'm not saying that after a couple of months of him not eating, that he's not going to try and bite and eat something. That's why I warned everybody. He's a reptile. Nobody knows what reptiles think. Uh, they, they talked to the local police chief and he said, are we shaking in our boots? No, but we are concerned about smaller children and even adults if they're not paying attention. What an amazing quote that is. Again, state of Missouri, be aware, 20-foot python on the loose. Jason Martin.
4: There's trouble in SEC country, Clay. I mean, there's stuff in Alabama, there's stuff in Florida, there's stuff in Louisiana. First, a mysterious emu runs wild in Rainesville, Alabama, through the streets, held up traffic on a highway. There's a video that a, a business worker took that went up on Facebook of this emu just going nuts.
3: I don't know what an emu is. Like, how would it's you describe s- it? Is like a deer?
4: It's the second largest living bird to the oh, ostrich. it's a bird. Yeah, it is. It's oh wow,
0: it's
4: no, a very, I had very no idea. large bird. So there's like basically kind of like a strange looking ostrich running through the streets in Alabama, which is probably only about the fifteenth strangest thing you would see running through the streets in Alabama on any given day. So that's a little bit odd. Apparently it went on for about 20 minutes. Everybody just watched it. Attempts to lasso the animal failed. It took multiple police officers to take it down. So it was tougher than Derrick Henry in Tuscaloosa. (laughs) A swan chasing a police officer in Florida around his car. I tweeted this video out yesterday and I'll do it again. This is the second swan to do this in this Orlando area in the last year. The swan is chasing this officer around a large like F-150 truck. And it like, it's like ring around the rosy two or three times. It just keeps falling the officer. And then it goes bat bleep insane and like throws out its wings. And the officer is absolutely terrified. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Swan Tarasso. Should, the they have, should he irks. have
3: shot the swan? Would that have been a bad thing if he pulled out his gun and shot the swan? I kind of feel like it would be better for the swan to get shot than the police officer to be running from a bird.
4: Yeah, that's probably true. It's like if you see a, somebody running from a bird, that's probably when you go loot the nearest business because you know that there's no problem there. And then finally, a mechanic removes car seats from a Shreveport, Louisiana woman's car to remove a four-foot venomous water moccasin from her vehicle. It was hidden so well in her car that they could not just get it out because it had gotten so deep. It had been in there for days. Even snake control people weren't sure about it, so they had to take all of her car seats out so that they could get this four-foot snake out of her car, which she was driving in or couldn't drive in for days because of, well, the fact that it could have killed her.
3: That brought to you by Visit Florida. Have your chance to win a trip to the Coke Zero 400, powered by Coca-Cola, July 1st at Daytona International Speedway. To enter for your chance to win, visit foxsportsradio.com. What an amazing opening hour there. Animal Thunderdome now with a sponsor. That's extraordinary. The world really is a beautiful and glittering and nice place. Final Next hour, will be off and rolling here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. And outkick the coverage and visit Florida. Have your chance to win a trip to the Coke Zero 400. Powered by Coca-Cola. July 1st at Daytona International Speedway. To enter for your chance to win, visit foxsportsradio.com. Was uh, looking at some of these numbers about the Golden State Warriors and their level of dominance. I know that the Cavs played a night in Game 5, and the expectation is that the Cavs are going to win to get to 12-1. and But the Cavs were the number 2 overall seed, wink-wink, nudge-nudge, because they decided they didn't really care about winning the Eastern Conference because they thought they could handle the Celtics without home court. But interestingly, the Golden State Warriors, and this is a stat that blows my mind, the Warriors, while playing their Big Four, with Klay Thompson, with Draymond Green, with Steph Curry, and with Kevin Durant on the court, have not lost since February 4th. That's before the Super Bowl, and that was an overtime game in Sacramento. Now, they only won 67 games in the regular season. Last year, obviously, they won 73 and set a new all-time record for for regular season wins. But I believe, and I had Jason Martin do the research on this, one of the things I'm wondering about, you guys know if you listened to the show yesterday, I think the Warriors are going to win this series in five games. I think that's going to happen. I don't think that there is going to be a lot of challenge from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Could I be wrong? Yes. Do I hope I'm wrong? After how bad the NBA has been, would I love to see a seven-game, really exciting NBA Finals? Yes. Look, I talk for three hours every morning on the radio. Best thing that could happen to us is seven great games to be able to react to, to be able to talk about. I don't think we're going to get it. I think we're going to get the Cavs in a, losing potentially in a sweep, Definitely losing within five games. We'll see whether I'm right or not. If that happens, I had Jason Martin do some research to kind of contextualize how the Warriors would rank all time. Because my argument is, and I really believe this, if the Warriors win in five games or less, I think they are going to be the best team in the history of the NBA. That is, we talked about this yesterday a little bit. I know the Boston Celtics had four or more Hall of Famers A lot of those guys were at the end of their career. I think right now, the Golden State Warriors have four Hall of Fame players. The big four, right now, if their careers ended and we expect the trajectory of what they're going to do to continue, I think all four of those guys would end up in the Hall of Fame. If that happens, I don't believe we've ever had a team in the NBA history that has had four Hall of Famers all firing on all cylinders at the peak of their careers like we do right now with the Golden State Warriors. But I'm not an NBA history expert going back to old school NBA. So I had Jason Martin pull up all the data and kind of contextualize how dominant would these Warriors be comparing them to the Jordan era Bulls, comparing them to the uh, the, the back in the day, the Lakers, the Celtics, all of the dynastic teams that we have had over the years. How good would these Warriors stack up? Jason Martin, you've got the data.
4: Yeah, they would stack up well. Best combined records in the NBA in terms of historic. Last year's Golden State Warriors went seventy three and nine and then fifteen and nine in the postseason made them eighty eight and eighteen. That was better than the 95-96 Bulls, the seventy two and ten team that went fifteen and three in the playoffs and finished eighty seven and thirteen. If you look at win percentage, that is still the best team in NBA history. The next year, the 96-97 Bulls In terms of win Bulls, percentage,
3: that Bulls team is the best in the 87 yes. and 13 yes. is 80 that's easy math. 87% win percentage. That's the best team in the history of the NBA.
4: Correct. Uh,
3: uh do you think see I think the Warriors would be favored over
4: this Bulls team. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's too much of a different league. Uh it's it's an interesting thing to theorize about. It just depends on how you would see those two teams. But if you look at the Bulls team that came back the next year, they went 69 and 13 and 15 and 4 in the playoffs. So they went 87 and 84 wins back to back combined over those two years, which is just absolutely insane. We've talked a lot on this show about the 2000 2001 Lakers, the team that went 15 and 1 in the playoffs. Uh, They finished 71 and 29, they were just a 56 and 26 team in the regular season. So they don't really make the top five lists that I put together. 69 and 13, Minneapolis Lakers. That was in 71, 72. Went 12 and three in the playoffs. Finished 82 and 16. And then that Celtics team that we talked about where Walton was sort of at the end of his career, but he was actually healthy that season. Bird was fully healthy. Parrish, uh, all those guys, McHale, the best front court in the NBA history, sixty-seven and fifteen in the regular season, fifteen and three made it at eighty-two and eighteen. And remember, up until two thousand three, this was a best of five, which meant there was one less potential total win possible because of that first round best of five series. So there wasn't the chance for the all fours all the way across. Now, if the Warriors were to win sixty-seven and fifteen right now, are this year's Warriors? 12-0 and in the playoffs. If they won in five, as you processize, over the Cleveland Cavaliers, they would finish 83-16. and If they swept the Cavs, they would finish 83-15. and So they would not reach what they did last year when they didn't win the championship, nor those two Bulls teams that I mentioned, but they would be solidified within the top five of any list there were some other teams that i went back and found nobody remembers this but the 98 99 spurs and this was the uh nba strike shortened season so i think that might be why it sort of looked at differently they were just a 37 and 13 team in the regular season they were 15 and 2 in the playoffs so were the 1990 91 chicago bulls that's two 15 and two teams nobody ever really talks about when they talk about that 15 and 1 lakers club but yeah this golden state team could finish, could finish technically if they were to just walk all over the Cavs 83 and 15. So they wouldn't quite hit 87. They wouldn't hit 88. But they'd probably be right there in that uh, number four slot all time for combined records.
3: Yeah, and look, I think that they are going to do that. And I think that then I will make the argument. I'm, giving, I'm calling my shot. I think they're going to be the best team in the history of the NBA. And it's one we haven't talked about a great deal because I think early on in the season, they made the choice not to pursue – the overall record for most wins based on what happened in the postseason last year. And obviously, they are having a tremendous amount of success so far in this year's postseason. If it rolls through, then, man, a pretty unbelievable accomplishment for the Golden State Warriors. We opened the show talking a little bit about this. I do think this is a, a fascinating. I want to hit on it for a moment. The, the, we never have seen. I believe I'm correct in this. If you can point out one that has happened, I would love to see it and, and, and see a link to it. This Colin Kaepernick protest, there were evidently like 35 losers who showed up outside of the NFL headquarters and demanded that Colin Kaepernick be signed by an NFL team. I don't believe we have ever seen a protest in the history of American sports demanding that an athlete be signed. Now, we've had protests and typically they aren't that successful for athletes demanding that they be terminated right like or rejecting the idea of a team to sign a player for instance when Michael Vick got signed there were reactions in a negative way with the Eagles right people said oh I can't believe we're going to fight we're going to sign this dog fighter and so there were protests there obviously with Ray Rice there were protests but those were against a guy being employed in the NFL in other words people were protesting saying "No, no no this guy doesn't deserve to represent the NFL I believe this is the first time in the history of any American sport that I can think of. Again, if you guys can think of one, hit me up on Twitter or, uh, or shoot me a link uh, on email somewhere. Can you guys going around the horn think of a protest demanding that a player be signed again not a protest saying no 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 we don't want this guy anymore this is unacceptable his behavior is not representative of the team or the league he doesn't deserve the privilege of playing this sport I'm talking about a protest saying you have to sign this guy now it was a loser protest because only like 35 people showed up but can you think of anything in sports I'll start with you Jason Martin can you think of a protest to demand that somebody
4: be signed I really can't. Like, I was trying to think. I guess maybe, but because he got drafted, it didn't end up mattering as much. Like, if Michael Sam hadn't gotten drafted, we could have maybe had something like that happen a few years ago. But he ended up actually getting picked up by a team. And, of course, we had that wonderful scene on ESPN that they ran ad nauseum for, like, six weeks about him getting picked and what happened. When you look at some of the quotes from this thing, there was one from the Youth Coalition for Black Lives Matter. I don't even understand this statement. But she said, I just can't watch while someone who spoke his mind and expressed his thoughts is being criminalized for that. What? <laughs> criminalized? You're not criminalized because you're not on an NFL team. Like, what the, the hell are you even talking protesting,
3: about? Look, here's my argument about protesters. That's a great line. Unbelievably stupid line, but it's perfect for social media. Here's my line about protesters, okay? We're, we're in an age where everybody wants to protest everything. Protesting so hot. Go check my Twitter feed. a a Portland burrito store got shut down because people in Portland went crazy with the idea that they were appropriating Mexican culture. So in theory, that would mean that like nobody can drink coffee that, uh, only, uh, I don't know, only Americans can use the internet. Uh, the idea of cultural appropriation is so patently absurd that it drives me almost bonkers. Okay. But they shut down a burrito shop in in Portland over this protest. They said, oh, they're stealing from Mexican culture. So I guess everything that's not native to America, by the way, I'm going overseas for my vacation this year. I can't wait till I can get to France and be like, you're trying to serve a hamburger here? Are you American? You're just totally appropriating American culture. Do you know what we call that in general, at least when I was growing up? The melting pot. We take the best of everything and we make it our own. That's kind of what America does. But I digress. Protesting so hot. I want to give you this analogy. I have zero respect for protesters. Okay, my my, especially if they are only doing what I call hacktivism, which is like you're just social media activist, right? Like you're posting pictures of yourself, or you're like have a hashtag associated with it. There's way too much overreaction to this. And the example I'll give you is remember when Trevor Noah got elevated to the uh, to the head of the Daily Show. People started going back through all his tweets, and they're like, oh, Trevor Noah made fun of fat people. I'm like, well, first of all, why shouldn't fat people be made fun of? I don't believe that fat shaming should be a thing. Like, if you're fat, you should lose weight. And welcome to my America, okay? Like, I'm fat right now, I think. I need to lose weight. I'm doing a little bit more working out. Like, if you're fat, that's on you. It's not my fault that you're fat. I shouldn't feel bad because you feel bad that you're fat eat less work out more get healthier like that's healthy for me to be like ridicule is good ridicule is good if it leads to better outcome so I'm not going to believe in fat shaming okay like I just don't buy into it but people went through Trevor Noah's tweets and they're like oh he made fun of fat people like how in the world can he now make fun of uh, politicians I'm like really are you kidding me and then people started showing up and like they were they were protesting uh, you know all over his Twitter feed and they're like oh this guy can't be the head the next head of the Comedy Central and it's happened to Amy Schumer it's happened to basically if you're a comedian it certainly happened to Dave Chappelle it's happened to every kind of comedian people go through and they say oh these jokes are inappropriate and my thought on this is I just want you to think about this from your perspective if you ever see this on social media and you pay attention to it I want you to think about this take it outside the realm of social media and think about what your opinion would be. Example I want to give you. Imagine that Dave Chappelle is showing up to perform at your local comedy club. Can you imagine what your reaction would be if you were driving down the street and somebody was standing outside of the comedy club, upset at the jokes that were going to be told inside the comedy club, and they had a whole poster board up, and they were saying, like, this comedy club shouldn't put on Dave Chappelle because I find his jokes offensive. Right? Right? What would your reaction be? You'd be like, man, that dude or that chick is a total effing loser. They're choosing to stand outside of a comedy club and protest jokes that they don't like. Get a life. Yet, if you consider it in the context compared to complaining about jokes on Twitter or Facebook At least the person who is standing on the street corner protesting outside of the comedy club is willing to do several things. One, somehow get to the comedy club two, make a sign to share his or her opinion with you. Three, stand out in the sun, the rain, the heat, the cold, and actually make their opinion known. In all Of these contexts, the person who is standing outside of the comedy club that you would ridicule and make fun of if you drove by is actually better than the person who is trying to ridicule jokes on Facebook or on Twitter. Yet, if you drive by that person, you think, what an effing loser. If you're on social media, you don't call out these people for being total losers. On social media, all you have to do is pull your phone out and click retweet. That's what a social media mob is, right? That's how this burrito store gets closed. That's how all these comedians get in trouble for their jokes. It's high time we start calling these protesters what they are. Total effing losers. Especially when they're associated with social media. But I love that. 35 people show up to protest and demand that Colin Kaepernick be signed. 35 people. At least those 35 people are willing to actually go out and stand on the street corner and argue something. And at least they're not members of the media who are running around like, oh, my God, Colin Kaepernick's not signed. How, what's wrong with the world today? How? What kind of world do we live in if the 32nd-ranked quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus, a guy who hasn't completed 60% of his passes, a running quarterback in an era when running quarterbacks don't work? How, how, how can we go on living if Colin Kaepernick is not signed? Bunch of losers. I'm Clay Travis. We'll open up your phones, 877-996-6369. Anonymous mailbag coming up, bottom of the hour. We'll try and take a couple of your calls here, bring you into the equation. Final hour of this show, we've got a really fascinating guest. He works in data analytics, and he has determined that Republicans have abandoned ESPN because ESPN has gone so far left wing. You're not going to want to miss this. It was up on OutKick, went viral, got tons and tons of reads yesterday. If you want to read that study, 43 markets he looked at. And the politicization of sports is turning off sports fans. How much exactly? I've always asked this question. He's found that it's a very significant factor. We'll talk about that in the final hour. But anonymous mailbag coming up. You know that I'm the King Solomon of the internet and the radio airwaves. I can solve any problem. we got a couple of problems for me to solve. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Does that fit? I don't know if that fits at all. But anyway, you can check out the hook. I'm Clay Travis. This is the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Protested music live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. Great news. Quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to Geico.com and in fifteen minutes you could save fifteen percent or more on car insurance. You can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis. Making friends, Eric Sanchez says, You're irrelevant and don't actually have your own opinion. Just because you're on at four AM doesn't make you not a loser. It's a double negative there, so I can't even figure that out. What does that mean? Doesn't make you not a loser. I guess he's in L.A. if I'm on at 4 a.m. Newsflash, it's almost 7.30 on the East Coast. Morning drive time, kind of a big deal on the East Coast. Just a newsflash there. Also, it's not a good idea if you're a stranger to tweet someone that they're irrelevant. Because your tweet is the exact opposite of what you're saying. A couple of other love uh, love moments in here. Evidently, SiriusXM has a soccer match on. We're getting bumped right now for an under-20 soccer match first hour was on but people are in uproar on twitter right now because the second hour now has we've been usurped we've been bumped for an under 20 soccer match on fox sports that's not very often that there's early morning sports that we get bumped for but i guess that's happening right now um and uh clay thompson carlos rodriguez says clay thompson is a hall of famer stick to cap and politics pal i love that i get told to stick to not sports now i think clay thompson's going to be a hall of famer yeah I don't think there's any doubt at all. Gary in Pennsylvania. Gary, what's up? How are you?
6: Good morning, Clay. How are you? I'm excellent. You know I love you, Clay. I love the program and your insight and how the NFL runs and all that stuff. And you talk about stuff that ESPN won't even touch. But – you, uh, all of a sudden, you're jumping on this golden stake. There were so many good teams, as your partners there in the studio suggested. And at that time, when Boston and uh, Lakers were so good, they had the Knicks and Chicago was coming up, and Detroit and all that, and the 76ers, even back when uh, Dr. J first came in the league ahead of Bird and them. This was the worst basketball season ever during the regular season. So many weak, weak, weak teams. I realized how good the uh, Golden State is, but look what they're playing against. It's it's a disgrace, and I, I don't like to see you jump on the bandwagon like this the last couple of days this week. But one other thing, Jim, I finally decided who you remind me of, and let me know if you've ever been compared to this guy before. Jim Rome.
3: You know what? I, I've never listened really to Jim Rome before, and I the only thing I've said about Jim Rome is that, He's like five four, and I think he's about to die. He weighs 130 yeah. pounds. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know what you know, like uh, what illness he has, but I feel bad for him. I saw him on the elliptical, and he could barely move the elliptical machine. Uh, I don't think we sound that similar, but I did well, see that he, he sold a he house does. for 14 million dollars.
6: Was big with Rome burning, and you're yeah. coming across. I hate to use the word egotistical, but he was so hot there for a while. Now he's still on some other channel around noontime on the airwaves, and I did see him on some shows the other week. And he is—he's almost like a midget. And uh, but you have similarities the way you look, but you're much better looking. But I know you're a great family man. You work with your kids, and you're yeah, you, know, you got a wife, and all the stuff you accomplished, Jim. But just. Try to put your ego a little bit intact there, buddy. I don't want to see it come crashing down maybe a year from now like Jim Rome did.
3: Other I appreciate that. that. I appreciate that. Gary in Pennsylvania usually has some anger issues today, like totally just you know, kind of a nice guy. No issues other than, you know, he's not happy with me saying the Warriors are the best team potentially in the history of the NBA, but I do think they're one of the best teams in the history of the NBA, if not the best. We'll see what happens in this series against the Cavs. I think a lot of other people will come to my side If they win in five games or less, like I anticipate and finish off the NBA playoffs at 16 and one, which would be the greatest record in the history of the NBA playoffs, combined with one of the potentially best records in the history of the league, having gone 67 and 15 beforehand. Uh, I don't know the Jim Rome comparison. I've, I've heard people say that before. I'm not a I don't really listen to very many other people on the radio. And certainly I never listened to Jim Rome. I mean, I think Colin Cowherd, who's on this network later, is incredibly talented. Uh, I grew up, to the extent that I listened to anybody in college, it was Tony Kornheiser. I think Tony Kornheiser's radio show was phenomenal. I went to college in Washington, D.C., and I was lucky enough to be able to listen to his radio show. This was back in the days before he became a star on PTI. So to the extent that I have ever emulated anybody in the media universe, it would be Tony Kornheiser, but that's primarily because I came to radio through writing, much like Tony Kornheiser did. So I went writing radio TV and if you do that trajectory then i think you're more likely to align yourselves in some respects with writers i mean i do radio now we're dominating in radio but i still think of myself at least in my head as a writer first and then i'm pretty good at radio too i think maybe that's changing i don't know uh but uh, but guys like jim rome are direct to radio never did writing so i tend to look if i had to look to somebody in sports media to a guy like tony kornheiser uh let's go ahead and find out what's trending now and then on the flip side the anonymous mailbag, and we've got some incredible questions to answer for you guys. Uh, here we go. Welcome back, Fox Sports Radio Studios, brought to you by GEICO. Easy to say, 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. As well, I want to tell you all about, who do I got here? I got uh, GEICO, I think. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Talking about Cowherd, uh, I also mentioned Dan Patrick. I mean, you look at this roster of talent that our guys Don Martin and Scott Shapiro put together on Fox Sports Radio. It's an incredible roster right now. I don't think there's ever been a better lineup of sports talk in the history of National Sports Talk Radio. Obviously, I'm very confident in myself. I think I'm pretty good from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern then you roll into Dan Patrick, then you roll into Colin Cowherd, then you go to Doug Gottlieb. That's six to six, guys. That's 12 hours, like your average workday, six to 6 p.m. on the East Coast. Incredible talent. Go download the podcast. Podcast for Outkick, killing it. Millions of you every month now downloading it. Go find it. Maybe you only get 10 minutes in your car. Maybe you're on your way to work 15 minutes. My goal is to keep you in your car as long as I possibly can. But I understand you guys have a lot to do over the course of busy days, especially starting off early in the morning like we do. So go down in the podcast. And uh, you can also come hang out with me in the afternoon. I do a show with no FCC restrictions uh, around 3 o'clock Eastern every day on Periscope and Facebook Live, which you can find if you go find me on Twitter at Clay Travis. If you enjoy what we're doing, you're going to enjoy that as well. And now, this thing is insanely popular. We do the anonymous mailbag on my website, Outkick the Coverage. Help pass the day, go check out kick the Coverage whenever you want, sitting in front of your computer board at work. And on Tuesdays, we debut the anonymous mailbag, and it is insanely popular online. One of the most popular things that goes up weekly on the internet, on any sports site. That's not exaggeration. It's not bragging. It's just the truth. Here, now, we do the anonymous mailbag on the air as well. Cue the music, boys.
0: You've got mail, motherfucker! Anonymous Mail Keep it on the down low.
4: Clay, am I the only one disturbed by the practice of throwing dead animals on the ice during a hockey game and think it's immoral? Other than fringe animal rights activists, at least. I learned how to fish and hunt from my grandfather. He was tough as nails. He taught me that when you kill an animal, you eat it. He believed killing something merely for sport was wrong and wasteful. He would be appalled to see catfish and duck carcasses tossed out on the ice. And treated as part of an entertaining diversion for fans. He loved college football, worked in a factory his whole life, and went to church on Sunday. In short, no snowflake. I assume a fair number of your readers are sportsmen. I don't think you can square the respect that true sportsmen have for animals with the practice of throwing dead ducks on the ice, or do I need to debat?
3: Man, you know what? This is actually an interesting question because when I saw so that for those of you who don't know, it's become a trend at the Nashville Predators. You might notice if you get bored and you're not an NHL fan, but you're like, man, you know what? I want to watch Game 7 tonight. You might notice as those two teams pl- get ready to play against the Nashville Predators in the uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals, the Predators throw, it's become a trend, catfish on the ice. And this kind of ties in with the Detroit Red Wing history of throwing octopus on the ice. And my belief is that the Red Wings swept their way. This is according to my wife, who's from the Detroit area. The Red Wings had swept their way to the Stanley Cup and won four and four. And so the octopus represented eight nos somehow. Tight. Uh, the the Preds fans decided a catfish would be a good kind of local delicacy that they could throw on the ice to represent the Nashville Predators. But then they've started taking it to a different level. I think I believe I've seen a shark on the ice when they've been playing the San Jose Sharks, like a a dead shark, which seems like a pretty exaggerated move. I know that just this past series, they threw a duck on the ice. And when I saw the duck go on the ice, I was like, ah, I don't know, like how far can you take the throwing the animal on the ice element, right? For instance, if the Penguins win tonight and they're favored to win game seven in advance for the second straight Stanley Cup final, I think you would probably go to jail If you threw a penguin on the ice, right? If the Preds are playing the penguins and they run down, somebody does, and they throw a penguin onto the ice, I think you would probably go to jail. And certainly, you know, there are other mascots in the NHL. You could not throw a dead coyote on the ice. You could not throw, I don't believe, a wolf on the ice. Where does the line become uncomfortable? In other words, where's the animal line where you go from? I think most people are probably like, ah, catfish. I don't really have an issue with duck probably borderline. I think certainly everybody's like, Oh, you're going to go to hell. If you saw March of the penguins, you're going to believe, you know what? You got to go to hell. If you throw a penguin on the ice and you definitely have to go to jail. I don't know. It's a really interesting question. Like my thought in general is that we have a really strange relationship when it comes to animals. The closer the animal is to humans, the more likely we are to not believe it should be treated poorly. For instance, Michael Vick fights dogs, and people believe that he has to go to prison immediately, right? Immediately, he should go to prison. People protest when he comes back. But if Michael Vick had been a hunter, and he had gone out and shot a bear and a lion and an alligator, people would have been totally fine with Michael Vick continuing to play football and in fact, a lot of sportsmen would have been like, man, I like Michael Vick even more than I did before. But Michael Vick fights dogs, and everybody's done with him. What about cockfighting? Not the penis kind, <laughs> but the bird kind. If he had cockfighting ring in his house as opposed to a dogfighting ring, I don't think anybody would have said, you know what, this guy has to go to jail and he can't play in the NFL anymore. So where is the animal level? I personally am coming down on Catfish OK, I'm not okay with ducks. Let's go around the horn. What is the biggest animal that you could throw on the ice that you think would be fine? Jason
4: Martin. I don't honestly think that necessarily is my criteria. The criteria I look at and think about is, this isn't hunting. This is a little bit different. This isn't dogfighting or, or whatever like that. You're doing this egregiously to celebrate something, and you're tossing an animal onto the playing surface for some celebratory purpose. To me, if it walks upright that's when you've got your problem a catfish all that kind of stuff it still looks like food but a duck I'm like man I've seen ducks in cartoons I've seen them on television so you agree with me stuff. that
3: you were like a little bit queasy about the actual duck going on the ice
4: yeah duck is duck is a little bit far for me like that's we're a little bit close like I feed you know my parents feed ducks you know what I'm saying like that's that's a little bit different like catfish and then there's again and I told wait you a minute, it's wait a minute
3: your parents just
4: go out and feed ducks yeah for fun a lot, of, a lot of older you know older really is this a thing yeah, i know do kids it do it every afternoon yeah they do it with like, every you afternoon with your parents bread. go and feed ducks yeah you do it with bread that's almost expired yeah that's, i know what the, you feed i know what like. you
3: feed them but i didn't know that adults <laughs> did that
4: yeah i mean people i mean my parents are in their 70s so you're talking about you know an older generation and my mom grew up on a farm and things like that like yeah they do that so every they just afternoon. go to a
3: public park every yes. afternoon and feed ducks
4: Yes, but maybe not every afternoon, but multiple times a week for sure. They enjoy it. They go and they sit down. They talk about their day. Maybe they read a newspaper and they sit there and they feed the ducks because they like to be around the
3: animals. I, I've only heard of people doing that with kids. Feeding kids? No, not feeding kids. I mean, you take your kids and feed the ducks. Like, I definitely have seen lots of kids do that. But I've never heard of just old people going multiple times a week to feed the ducks. Really? You've never seen like, like a public park
4: with the birds and things like that? No. Yeah, it's, it happens a lot. It's not abnormal at all, Clay. I think it's abnormal. Hold on. You you haven't you,
3: seen it. you defend abnormal things all the time as no, not being abnormal. You step step out of the equation for a minute. I'm gonna bring in unbiased observers here. Danny G <laughs> and Justin. Multiple times a week, old people going to feed ducks, normal or abnormal?
7: I, I think I think this one's normal, Clay. You, you see it in TV shows like the, the the old people on the bench feeding birds. It's this I think it's the same concept. What TV
3: show do you see that in?
7: Just, just you know, I don't know, just random shit. It's not like a. a <laughs> you think plot there's a lot? Point, you guys but... are
3: in L.A. If I went into an L.A. park today, you think there's tons of old people just showing up feeding ducks? Maybe not, not tons, kids there,
7: but you know, you you visit enough parks, you'll see it. <laughs>
0: Danny G, I'm the wrong one to ask about this because my mom gave me and my older brother BB guns, and uh, we were doing other things at the park with with the ducks. Did you go shoot the ducks? We did, yeah.
7: Well, I I just want to weigh in real quick on the on the throwing the ducks on the on the ice. Now, uh, from my understanding, was that there it was two separate incident uh, incidences that this happened. Um, the first one, it was a skinned duck that was thrown on there, and then the second time, it was it was just full on you know mallard duck with feathers. The the first one, the skinned duck, like you know maybe maybe they purchased that already you know dead and it's like getting ready to be cooked. So that one doesn't bother me too much. But then the the duck that still looks like the duck in, that you see at the park in the pond, that's where I get a little, you know, ugh. Well, just because yeah, it hasn't plucked yet?
4: Yeah, if it's an aluminum foil, like you just grabbed it out of a restaurant, like if you want to <laughs> toss peaking duck on the ice i'm all for that if you want to like go buy a duck at like a restaurant for ten dollars and do that that's right. one thing but if you're because yeah, you're like, thinking
3: like the mallard somebody just ran into a park and rang, rang the duck's neck and yeah, then threw exactly. it onto the ice yes. exactly
4: and it's that's like a not duck murder okay.
3: it's like a yeah, duck mean, murder as sea put,
4: lions I, you can toss on the ice so are we being
3: pussy willows about this we'll open up the phone lines where's the line for animals we also have more anonymous mailbags and also you can weigh in On whether it's weird that Jason Martin's parents, multiple times a week, just go feed ducks. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Sorry guys, a little bit late coming back from music. I was just feeding some ducks outside the studio here. It's the totally normal thing for an adult to do. It's like, what do I want to do today with my free time? I'm going to go feed some ducks. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to Geico.com and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This all spiraling out of the duck being thrown on the ice at the Nashville Predators game and also the anonymous mailbag. I know poll question is up and the poll question is up and I am asking the question, is it normal or abnormal to go feed ducks multiple days a week in a park without kids? And so far, 80% of the votes say it is abnormal siding but with me.
4: You got idiots that are on that thing. The, all the callers are on my side. Everybody tweeting me is on my side. It's ridiculous that you don't think that like older people go feed ducks. It's I'm not absurd. saying that
3: they can't do it. I'm saying that it's weird to do to it's go. Feed. If, in my opinion, you are a weird person. If you go feed ducks multiple days a week without your kids. Now, if you have kids or grandkids, totally normal. What makes it abnormal is adults going to feed ducks multiple days a week. And I'm not talking about like Oh, we just happened to be here and I finished my sub and there's a little bit of crusty bread left on the end and I'm going to throw it to a duck. I mean, like you get you're like sitting around the house and you're like, what are you going to do today? Well, let's go feed some ducks. All right, let's go get in our car. Like if you get in your car as an adult and you go drive to a park to go feed ducks, that's weird. I'm in the right here.
4: And by the way, they don't just go to feed the ducks. It's part of the afternoon. They'll go eat. You know, they'll go do they like to ride around, look at houses, look at neighborhoods and things like that. And they'll stop at the park and they'll spend some time with the ducks and they'll watch people walk their dogs and things like that. Like, that's what, you know, older couples do. This, when this is why time with one another.
3: This is why I'm not that excited about living a long time. People are like, oh, don't you want to have a really long life? I'm like, I don't know. This stuff that old people do, do doesn't sound very fun to me. Like, uh, like, if I, you told me right now, Clay, don't you want to make sure you live to be 85 so you can go feed ducks in the park and drive around and look at houses? I'd be like, nah, you know? I mean, honestly, like, I'd be fine going at 80 if that's how I'm going to spend the last five years of my life.
4: Well, I think it's generational, I too. I don't think that this generation, when they become 80, are going to be doing it the way, you know, my parents, your parents, you know, that generation, or some of those people, at least your parents probably don't, based on the way that they've raised you to be such a heathen. But it's such a it, it's normal for people at that age that grew up around a lot more of a simpler life than what we did. So I don't think that when I'm eighty, I'm going to be out there feeding the ducks if I'm lucky enough to reach eighty. I don't know. You know, maybe if my uh, wife wants to feed the ducks, I'll go feed the ducks. But I have no idea how that's going to play out. I just know that it's not abnormal for people that are in the you know that great generation now in the seventy five to eighty range that grew up with things we didn't have. Uh, you know it's just not strange at all your poll is just completely wrong i don't know who those people are but they should be the banned.
3: thousands of people who the, the four people who banned. called you represent represent the reality the thousands of people weighing I'm in right now in the humanist. poll the thousands of people weighing in on the poll are the aberration not the few people who are actually calling in uh should we do it in another and in, we have time to get to another anonymous mailbag question or should we do it at the top of the uh the top of the hour is there yes. anybody you want to put on the air to defend your position
4: I mean, Hal in Portland is a man that likes to feed ducks in Oregon, and he's on line three. All right, Hal,
3: come on. Put Hal on. Hal, welcome in, Hal. Uh, Are you the guy who called in with the amazing voice?
1: I am the guy that calls in with a a voice, anyway. And, yes, up here in Oregon, we feed lots of ducks. We don't feed pigeons. We don't feed and We certainly don't feed beavers. But we do feed Oregon ducks all the time. I am going to the park right now, even though it's dark. And I've got my loaf of bread. And I'm not giving them expired day-old bread. I'm giving them fresh bread. Because all these ducks, they mean something to me.
3: I don't think Hal's helping your cause here at all. They're saying that it's not weird. Now, Hal, uh, it's 4.50 in the morning right now in uh, in Oregon. Um, what do you think about, by the way, in Portland, the decision of the burrito truck to get shut down because they were appropriating Mexican culture? Did you hear about that? It's been a big story up in your city.
1: Oh, no, no. that's That's... That's day-old stuff. We've already moved past that. No, I I really didn't hear about that one. I'm sorry.
3: Hal, you've you've done an incredible job. Hold on. You've done an incredible job reading ads for us before. I'm going to give you another opportunity here, all right? We're doing a contest. Can you follow me here? Make sure you're running on this because this is going to be our ad. You got this, Danny G and uh, Justin back in studio. We're trying to get people to go visit Florida, Hal. I'm down in Florida right now doing the show. Uh, it's a great place, great state to visit, um, and uh, so I want you to follow me, Hal. I want your—you got an incredible voice. I want to use you as my ad read this uh, this next hour. All right, are you ready?
1: I'm ready. The battery is full.
3: Oh, good. Yes. Okay. Outkick the coverage and visit Florida. Have your chance to win.
1: Outkick the coverage. Visit Florida. Your chance to win.
3: Now you messed it up, Hal. All right, I know I this is like, yeah, you've got to listen more careful. This is like um, this is like a wedding vow, and, and it doesn't count unless you get it right, all right? out. right? I'm going to shorten it up now. Outkick the coverage and visit Florida.
1: Outkick the coverage and visit Florida.
3: Have your chance to win a trip.
1: Have your chance to win a trip.
3: To the Coke Zero 400. To the
1: Coke Zero 400.
3: Powered by Coca-Cola July 1st at Daytona International Speedway.
1: Powered by Daytona July 1st (laughs) at Daytona International Speedway.
3: That's wrong, but it's close enough. To enter for your chance to win, visit FoxSportsRadio.com.
1: To enter for your chance to win, visit FoxSports.com.
3: No. Hal, I don't understand. Like, are you are you drunk right now? Are you high?
1: No, these are long sentences and, 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 and I It's one my, sentence, uh, Hal. <laughs> it's one sentence. It's not a long sentence. Well, I, I just got up, young man.
3: Keep Hal on the line. Anyway, I don't know what's going on here. This is out coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Final hour. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. Fifteen minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. If you're waking up this morning, DuckGate on the show, I'll explain momentarily, but first your cars need now come with a reward. Your car sorry. I'm sorry Hal's got me all crossed over. I can't even read anymore now. Your cars needs now come with a reward with the Yeah, exactly. With the AutoZone rewards program, spend $20 five times and earn a $20 reward. So sign up today, get in the zone, AutoZone. Uh, we have uh, Hal, I think, is going to weigh in here in a minute, but I want to hit another anonymous mailbag question. But first, Jason Martin, you're getting dunked on. Right no, now, really not. your poll is, is completely it normal. Uh, is it normal or abnormal to go feed ducks multiple days a week in a park without kids? of you say that is abnormal behavior.
4: Yeah, that's not the question, Clay. That's not my statement. That's not what I was saying. You're making it sound like, is it weird for anybody to go feed the ducks multiple times? My entire example and the entire point of this was that elderly people, somewhere around 65, I would say, around retirement,
3: only people who are 65 or older can feed ducks like you Look, would agree if I'm out
4: in the park that's weird like that's really <laughs> strange like if i'm like 38 and i'm out there with like i don't know a nintendo ds and i'm also feeding the ducks probably stay away from me is there like, that's anyone strange.
3: is there anyone under the age of 40 who is allowed to feed ducks without kids present you would agree that's not like normal behavior
4: correct but that's not what at all what i was assuming like yes if you're out there and you're you know 38 to 42 years old or something like that in fact you're out do there you think those ducks, people should go
3: straight to prison i feel like you're probably a sex offender if you're, you're one feeding step ducks. away
4: you're one step away from being in that park without pants like porky picking it <laughs> on a bench
3: <laughs> there's zero doubt so we actually agree there i still think it's weird i i just find the idea that I don't want to live to be over eighty. If this is what people who are approaching eighty do for fun, like I don't know how old people get so boring, but this is like, oh, honey, let's go feed the ducks. I can't imagine. But I want to hit this other question because do we have Hal on the line?
4: Yeah, I told him that we want him to react uh, after. I want this Hal's question.
3: opinion. I want him to think. Yeah, see what I think. So we've got, and by the way, the game five's going on tonight, and also we got uh, we got game seven going yeah, on. But cares? this is more important right now. I'm solving all the world's problems right now with the anonymous mailbag
4: all right so we'll just read it here so my sister-in-law is getting married and she has a lesbian couple in her bridal party which is great good for the girls the catch is one of the girls quote doesn't wear dresses if you catch my drift the bride seems to be okay with it as she's very accepting and they're her friends but the bride's typical southern conservative parents are flipping their wigs about having a chick in the bridal party wearing a suit since they're paying the bill what's the solution here tell the girl to wear a dress and ruin the friendship Or should the bride go rogue and have MS ESPN sponsor the wedding?
3: Yeah, you know, here's the deal. When you agree to be a bridesmaid or a groomsman, what you're effectively saying is, I will wear whatever crappy thing you want me to wear. Right? It doesn't matter what the race, religion, ethnicity, whatever. Bridesmaids oftentimes hate the dresses that they have to wear. But part of being a bridesmaid is your acquiescence, your agreement to the fact that you are going to wear crappy attire right like some magenta dress that you hate that you're never going to wear again also similarly if you are a groom groomsman and your groom decides that everybody has to wear pink tuxedos you have to wear a pink tuxedo too every man also has to dress the same so here is my king solomon solving of this problem i understand that the old traditional southern parents are putting on the wedding and they probably don't want a girl dressed in a tuxedo in the wedding because it looks weird right to them I don't particularly care what I would suggest is one of two options one it seems to me that every time I've ever talked to my wife no girl actually really wants to be a bridesmaid they might claim that they do they might like to be asked but if you get the opportunity to gallantly withdraw from the bridesmaid's responsibility most women I think would be happy to do it so if you are a lesbian let your partner who wears a dress be in the wedding, you agree to just sit in the crowd, just like you would if you were a man and you weren't a groomsman and you were married to the bridesmaid. Just sit in the crowd, okay? That's one option. Option two, allow her to walk down the aisle with her partner and then, as long as she is willing to wear the exact same tuxedo as the men, allow her to stand on the side of the groomsman dressed in the tuxedo. The thing in general I believe here is that the lesbian couple the one who's insisting on wearing a tuxedo is a little bit of a show person here trying to make a big show about their relationship let me give you an example I was involved in a wedding and you may have been involved in a wedding too one of my good roommates was, uh, was is Indian uh, one of my college roommates and when he got married he was like I'm thinking about having you know a lot of groomsmen and he was like are you guys okay if you wear traditional Indian attire Dot, not feather attire. It wasn't like I was going to dress up like uh, like a Storm Shadow from G.I. Joe. Going to dress up like an Indian continent. Wear a s- Surrey or whatever else. And I was like, yeah, I'll wear anything. Look, I don't care. You're talking to a guy who did a television show dressed as a lobster. I don't care what I have to dress up in. But that would have been like if I had had an issue with dressing up in that culture for that wedding, then I would have been like, it wouldn't have been normal for me to say, oh, I'm willing to be in your wedding, but... I'm not going to dress up like everybody else culturally in the party. I have to wear a tuxedo because I'm a white guy and Americans dress up in tuxedos for weddings. Like that would be an ass move by me, right? You do things for your friends that otherwise you might not be willing to do as part of the bridesmaid or batch, you know, the, the groomsman perspective around the horn. What do you guys think? What's the solution here?
4: There's two things. I'm, I'm very pleased that you're letting me talk considering my station in life when it comes to marriage. Um, you're not even close to marriage i i am dating someone though oh well this is a revelation but there you go um there's symmetry in terms of like you're gonna stand out like if she's in the suit and she's on the side with the bridesmaids she's gonna stand out it's not her day you know she's not the one that's supposed to stand out it's the bride's day exactly, everything it's at the wedding is the for the bride man, a man doesn't
3: even matter at a wedding
4: correct you just make sure she's happy that day because she's the one that's going to go back and look at those photos for years and years and years and years, and you want to make sure it's the best memory for her as humanly possible. You're going to have plenty of days for her. Maybe it's your night, but it's her day. But I just think that, you know, it's okay. Like, if you want to wear a suit, whatever, and the bride's cool with it, I guess that's whatever, too. I just look at it and think if she's on the right side with the bride and the bridesmaids are all over there and they're in dresses and then there's somebody in a suit, then that is it's something that stands out in the wrong way. I don't think that I need my people that are in the seats in the pews at the wedding, their attention diverted, looking at someone that's not the bride or the groom on the wedding. It's like, that's not the day to make your stand. It's just my opinion.
0: Danny G and Justin. Clay, this is one of the reasons why I think wedding ceremonies are very lame. Um, if my girl does want to get married down the line, it's gonna be an elope situation just to avoid situations like yeah this. yeah because i think so much of the wedding ceremony is for everybody else that's there right and and so just not a fan i'd i'd rather go straight to the after party to be honest with you good luck just
3: put, put on you. apple bottom jeans and gin and juice back to back <laughs> exactly everybody goes crazy.
0: i will
7: definitely be hiring you as the wedding dj so justin what do you think I, I'm, I'm with you guys on this. you and you and Jason. I think that you gotta just, you know, I guess woman up and wear the dress. <laughs> or don't be
3: in the wedding, right? Like uh, to me and, and look, if the bride is totally fine with it, then I think the bride's vote goes in over the parents vote, right. But I don't understand why you have to create a mini like disturbance for the wedding. When really the bridesmaids and the groomsmen are there just for show, it's not like you really have a role. It's not like you're doing a dramatic production. You just stand up there and watch the wedding closer than everybody else in matching outfits. That's kind of the entire purpose of it. Is Hal still there?
4: Uh, yeah, he's still there.
3: All right, Hal, what do you think?
1: Uh, okay, keep in mind now this question is to a guy from Oregon where we wear plaid to weddings, and, and, and we, we wiped out the logging industry for owls. But I will say this. I, I, I think that, you know, from a traditional standpoint, I agree. You, 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 the girls should wear dresses. The guys should wear tuxedos. However, in this case, perhaps if she's a friend, you'll, you'll let her wear what she wants if it's okay with, with the bride. Yeah, but then on the other hand, I, I, I like, I'm sorry, what was the question?
3: All right, we've got to hang up on Hal right now.
4: <laughs> I haven't dropped I, him yet. I
3: haven't dropped him Hal, yet. Hal, you were, I mean, how, how old are you, Hal?
1: Yeah, I'm between 68 and 73. <laughs> yeah, all right.
3: All right. <laughs> We got to get Hal on more often. We need a special Hal segment Sorry. every week to just answer the questions of the day. What do you think how, about the Kaepernick protest? Hal, <laughs> what do you think about the Kaepernick protest?
1: Definitely against it. That one You're I'm ant- definitely against.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, a little I'm bit, a- I,
3: I, Yeah, uh, thank you for the thank you for the call, Hal. We need to make sure you get Hal's number. We need to have Hal on regularly, Jason. Um, all thank right, you. coming Bye-bye. up next. Yeah, thank you, Hal. Thank you very much. Uh, Hal in Portland, up early in the morning on the West Coast. Here's the here's the question out there. Uh, we have talked a lot about this in an incredible pivot from ducks and lesbians and weddings and Hal uh, doing reads. We have talked a lot about uh, the politicization of sports and how, to me, sports is a way to escape from serious things in your life. And in particular, that I think ESPN, surrounding the Colin Kaepernick, Caitlyn Jenner, Michael Sam stories has decided to try to turn into a left wing sports network. You guys know that if you listen to this show, you know, it's something that I talk about regularly. Well, there was a study that came out about a month ago that looked at who watches sports. When, what is the makeup of people who, and I'd love to know this, what's the makeup of people who listen to this crazy show every morning, but what's the makeup of the people who watch sports on ESPN? Are they Republicans? Are they Democrats? And has that shifted? Guy came out with a study, David Seawright, that said the city of Cincinnati has abandoned ESPN in substantial numbers, Republicans have, over what they perceive to be left-leaning sports coverage. Not just sports, but making sports agenda-driven sports. And, And, of course, people say, oh, that's not true. The liberal element out there says, oh, that's not true. People don't stop watching sports over a conservative or liberal political bit associated with sports on a network. Well... He then expanded it to 43 different markets across the country and asked this question Are Republicans abandoning ESPN over its leftward political agenda that is now infiltrated into sports? This is my theory. This is my philosophy. The answer was yes. He's done the numbers, he's run them, and he's going to break this down for us. I think we're going to make you smarter. We might have made you dumber in the first two hours. I think we might make you smarter in this hour. And uh, I want you to listen. I want your feedback. I want you to know how you think this is going to go. But we're going to have David C. Wright on to talk about that angle. Is politics infiltrating sports? And is that good or bad for viewership based on his data analysis? He's up with us next. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick, the coverage. And my God, what a call from Hal in Portland this morning. We're going to make the world a better place, I hope, in the next segment. But I'm certain that we have the past couple of segments. Thank you for hanging with us on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, great news, quick way you could save money, switch to Geico, go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. We are joined now by David Seawright. He wrote an article up on Outkick, the coverage uh, yesterday. I teased it as we went off the show on Wednesday and it's building on a prior study that he did. We had him on. People loved having him on to discuss this, Uh, looking at political leanings in sports. In particular, does ESPN lean the left wing, and have they been losing viewers over the way that they cover sports? With Caitlyn Jenner getting an ESPY, with uh, Michael Sam getting all of the coverage that he did as if he's the Jackie Robinson of sports, and obviously Colin Kaepernick and how kind of I would say controversial the Kaepernick protest has been we bring in David Seawright and I want to reintroduce you to the audience you're not just a data and analytics nerd for lack of another term you also played football yourself at UC Berkeley kind of give people your bio if they don't remember you from the last time you were on
8: sure first of all thanks thanks for having me thanks for publishing the piece it's great to be here uh, so I am the director of analytics and product innovation at Deep Root Analytics. I'll tell you briefly about what we do. But first, I'll, I'll touch on that other part of my bio that you mentioned. Uh, I grew up in I grew up in California. Um, I, uh, I did my undergrad at UC Berkeley, where I played football as a kicker at Cal, uh, then moved out to D.C. I got a master's degree at Georgetown, and I've been working out here ever since. Deep Root as a company, what we do is we segment the population into political advocacy and commercial groups. Um using a, a national file of commercial and political data sources um, that we can we can put together to form these groups of individuals. We then match those individuals into observed TV viewership data from set-top box data and smart TVs so that we can see what these individual groups are actually watching on TV. Clay, as you know, in the industry, um, a, a lot of TV viewership is done off of large demographic groups, for example, adults 18 to 49. But especially for niche advertisers, they're more interested in what their unique target audience is watching rather than uh, the, the population as a whole. And so we specialize in this in, in measuring how unique groups of individuals watch TV, including partisan audiences. And so as, uh, as ESPN was getting a lot of attention for laying off workers, Having to kind of navigate a a new environment, both in their business model and a new political environment, we decided to take a look at um, how uh, partisanship was affecting viewership of ESPN. Obviously, we did that piece uh, about Cincinnati that brought me on the show a couple weeks ago that basically showed Republicans were were leaving ESPN um, across its properties in Cincinnati. That gained a lot of attention, but. Justifiably, the criticism was this is only one market. So we went back and we looked at 43 markets around the country, and we see that this is not just a Cincinnati trend. This is a national trend. Republicans are turning off ESPN.
3: Easy response would be, if Republicans are turning off ESPN, why? Your analysis across 43 markets shows that they're turning off ESPN. Democrats are not. Is your analysis then that it's because of the political leanings? How would you assess the findings and kind of explain what's happening?
8: Yeah, so I think it's important to note that um, what what we're diagnosing here is is not we're not saying that this is the entire driver of ESPN's challenges. You've covered substantially uh, the the unique challenges uh, the cable industry is going through. Obviously, ESPN is a huge part of the cable industry, and so they're facing some of those challenges. But what we do see is that we face Republican voters, kind of the hard the hardcore Republican viewers across the country. Um, started turning off ESPN in 2016 uh, substantially compared to their viewership in 2015. Um, you know, there, there's, there's of course, an argument to be made that correlation does not equal causation. What we do see is a very clear trend nationally that Republicans are turning it off. And ESPN's public editor himself has come out and said, look, we, we've embraced politics. We've become uh, more political-leaning. Um, it's pretty clear to anyone who's watching that they've embraced a bit more of a liberal worldview. And I, I think that it's at the least fair to say at the same time that this is happening, ESPN is clearly, in our analysis, losing Republican viewers. And I, I would imagine those things are connected.
3: This is uh, kind of fascinating, too. 43 markets of varying sizes. How did you pick the 43 markets? Because initially, like you said, you did this study and showed that Republican viewers in Cincinnati, which is a battleground area, very middle of the road kind of community, were abandoning ESPN. Now you have found it to be true across 43 markets. How did you pick the 43
8: yeah, so uh, th- this was essentially a random sample of the 210 media markets. We pulled markets and uh, we pulled data from 43 markets where we had data for the entirety of 2015 and 2016. Uh, we specialize in local TV viewership, so we do this in all 210 local media markets. And so I was able to pull from from all different sizes, small markets, big markets. You'll see in the piece for those of you who are going to uh, outkickthecoverage.com to see it. Um, we, we included data from New York City, from Pittsburgh, from Atlanta, from Washington, D.C., so not just small markets. I, I addressed in the piece, I think a criticism of this could have been, well, you cherry-picked small markets, more rural markets that are more hardcore Republican, and so markets that voted really heavily for Trump are driving a aggregated trend in your data that's saying, okay, yeah, Republicans are, are, are not watching. But we see this in big markets that Hillary Clinton won big uh, in, in November, like in New York City.
3: Yeah, this was fascinating to me. And again, I'm kind of a data nerd without being very good at math, which sometimes is a bad combination. So I love uh, when guys like you can come on and break this down. We're talking to David Seawright. You looked at New York City. And for instance, people think of New York City as an incredibly liberal place. But you found that the viewership for ESPN in the New York City metropolitan market actually leaned Republican.
8: Yeah, so I. I think this is a, a really good chance to point out something that we see consistently in TV viewership data, which is that trends change substantially based on target, based on the audience, and by the geography. So the makeup of ESPN's audience in New York City is not going to be the same as the makeup of ESPN's audience in Charlotte, North Carolina. They are different places with different types of people. And even New York, which is, a, you know, of course, a, a, a liberal place – the, the, the audience in New York in both 2015 and 2016 skewed Republican of ESPN in, in that market, but it, it lost about 7% of Republicans from 20 in 2016 from 2015. So even in a market like New York, which maybe you'd expect to be liberal, the audience skewed conservative, but they were still losing Republican viewers in 2016 versus 2015.
3: Would this scare you if you ran ESPN?
8: I actually think there's a, there's there's a couple of things that are interesting. If I'm an ESPN executive, um, the first one for for a billion dollar business like ESPN is a bit more of small potatoes. But um, if I'm if I'm their local ad reps, I'm actually really concerned about political ad revenue. Um, the, the best the best networks to get political ads, and of course, political advertising is a multi million. It's a billion dollar business um, each election cycle. Um, if, if your audience is strictly partisan, then you're only going to get ads from one side of the aisle. There's a reason why you're not seeing too many Democrats, for example, advertising on Fox News. Their voters aren't necessarily watching Fox News. And so if ESPN's audience continues to skew further and further left, There's a decent chance that Republican campaigns and entities are going to spend less money advertising on ESPN. It's not a vindictive thing. It's not coming back to them saying, "Oh, you guys are turning liberal, so we're not going to advertise. You're not going to get our money." It's just a, it's just an allocation of resources question. If Republican viewers aren't watching, then the people that you'd be advertising to are are not your voters, and so your money can be better spent elsewhere. So, you know, that's again. In a huge picture of ESPN, that's a bit smaller, uh, a smaller potatoes. But I'd be, I'd be concerned about that. The bigger question I think for ESPN is that they are in a unique moment, both in their business model and in politics as a whole in this country. We've talked a lot about changes in the cable industry, changes the way that people are consuming uh, TV, way the changes the way that people are consuming media. But also ESPN, like just about everyone else out there, is trying to figure out how to connect to this unique political moment that we're in, where we're a more polarized society and where things seem more overtly political. It seems like we can't escape politics anywhere. And um, ESPN has leaned into that. They, they've acknowledged that, that um, themselves. And I, I think it's clear that that's having an impact. If I'm ESPN, And I I look at this analysis, I'm saying, look, there are some things that we can't control, but maybe our leaning into a more liberal worldview is a bit of an unforced error. It's an unforced error where we're losing losing viewers in a way that we don't have to be.
3: Hundreds of thousands of people read this article on OutKick yesterday. It caught fire across the entire Internet and was shared widely. Um, And I think there is this idea in many people's world, and you played football at Cal Berkeley, so you get it that sports is an escape from politics. Uh, Obviously, in this day and age, everything is so partisan. Um, Is, in your mind, it possible even to escape sports and politics, or is everything twinned with politics right now? Because for whatever reason, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, the election, the fact that a lot of people are unhappy, sports is more maybe connected to politics than ever before.
8: Um, I think that it's certainly connected um and it always has been connected in some way a lot of people would say that that sports has always been political i would just say that there's a difference between being political and being partisan um and so you can you can connect sports to politics in some way you know it always will be critics would say look that the nfl is always trotting out the flag and our troops that's an overtly political thing it's not necessarily a partisan thing and um as as organizations are trying to figure out how to connect to the political moment, connecting to the political moment does not necessarily mean that you have to do so in a, in an overtly partisan way, because, of course, as with partisanship, that means that you're going to be turning off, you know, roughly 45 percent of the population, whichever direction you go. And if you're at a place like ESPN, where your business model is not to necessarily cater to one subset of the population, but because sports is the driver of so much viewership and because almost everyone in America is a sports fan, you want to make sure that you are reaching everyone, then you need to avoid avoid a partisanship, uh, a, a partisan approach to politics. You can still connect to the moment politically without it being partisan.
3: David C. Wright is going to stick with us. You need to go read this article if you're fascinated at all by the politicization of sports. That's a great point you just made. There's a difference between being political and partisan. It's what I try to do on this show, whether or not I may pull it off. We'll probably check the Twitter feed and see. Uh, Bottom of the hour time for a visit to find out what's trending now. David Seawright with us. Welcome back to the Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier as well as with TrueCar you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over 3 grand off MSRP whether you're looking for a new or used car visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. One argument, we're talking to David Seawright and I've been fascinated by this for a long time. One argument that people made during the Colin Kaepernick protest was that they were stopping to watch the NFL. Whether or not that was true from a conservative perspective, I'm not sure. But with Republican viewers abandoning sports, one argument that was out there was viewers in general were turning more to politics. For people out there who are saying, well, these Republicans are just leaving because they're dialed in maybe more to politics than they have been in the past, you didn't find a similar drop-off in your 43 market study with Democrats. So Democrats are very engaged as well. In theory, if this were just people being more interested in politics and going to more news, you would have seen an across-the-board decline of ratings that also impacted Democrats in the same way.
8: Yeah, so, so what the trend is very clear in our data is that this is a, a unique loss of base Republican viewers. So this is not necessarily just addressing an overall ratings loss. The audience in ESPN across all of its properties, across all 43 markets that we looked at, became more liberal. They lost Republican viewers. On ESPN, they lost 5 percent of Republican viewers. On ESPN2, they lost 10 percent of Republican viewers. The biggest partisan shift happened on ESPN News. whose audience became 36% less Republican and more Democratic in 2016 versus 2015. So this is a unique movement of Republican viewers away from ESPN properties.
3: I saw something that ties in with your theory here, and you were talking about buying ads. MSNBC is now advertising on SportsCenter. How would a decision like that be made? And they would have to believe that ESPN's audience is trending liberal. If in theory, in order to spend their money to try to reach that audience, right? How would a decision like that be made from your perspective?
8: Yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting a really interesting question. In some way, MSNBC has decided that the ESPN audience is a is in some way overlapping in let's say political behaviors or attitudes of the MSNBC audience to the point where it would be worthwhile to place an ad during ESPN to start driving tune in to MSNBC. So people will turn off SportsCenter and change the channel to MSNBC. They must think that in some way there's a significant overlap in the type of person that's watching ESPN and the type of person who would would like to be or should be watching MSNBC. So they're seeing something in, in, on their side of things as well.
3: Now, you had 43 markets, but every market obviously is not behaving the same. We talked about New York City uh, Atlanta, for instance, became 13 less Republican. Cleveland, the city we're on in both those cities, became 8% less Republican. Pittsburgh, on the flip side, became 4% more Democratic. Tallahassee, Florida, I think we're on down there too, 2% more Democratic. Washington, D.C., we're on everywhere for Sirius XM Channel 83, became 6% more Democratic. And one of the most amazing ones was you saw that Charlotte, uh, had more of a right for rightward shift than any of the 43 markets included in your analysis. Why do you attribute on these local markets such a swing uh, in terms of some markets staying one way, some markets going the other way?
8: Yeah, so it's really interesting. Charlotte is a, is a very interesting use case. The Charlotte ESPN audience still skews liberal, but it actually got 16% less liberal in 2016 compared to 2015. So while the, almost every other market in our analysis was moving left, Charlotte in some way uh, decided to move right. There's there's a lot of hypotheses about, about why this could be the case. I would connect it back to what I said previously. TV viewership varies by local market, and then also the type of people who are – Hardcore Republicans or hardcore Democrats varies by local market as well. So when we model the country into these different subgroups of, let's say, base Republicans and base Democrats, we are not doing a blanket assessment of everyone in the country. A North Carolina-based Republican looks different than a Massachusetts-based Republican, which looks different than a California-based Republican. These people might belong in the same overall universe, but their their combination of political behavior, um, socioeconomic status, Um, These things vary by different geographies. In the same way, TV viewership varies by local geography as well. And so I think Charlotte's a good example here. We we see a larger trend across 43 markets uh, of ESPN losing Republican viewers. That wasn't the case in Charlotte. They actually got better with Republican viewers in Charlotte in 2016 compared to 2015.
3: Now, you've now, initially, again, people out there waking up, starting to listen to us here. David Seawright, go read the article at Outkick the Coverage. It swept across the entire sports landscape on Wednesday, picked up everywhere. What I am fascinated about here is you initially did the study in Cincinnati. People fired back and said, okay, that's only one market. It doesn't prove anything. Now you went and did 43 market study. And some people are probably still going to say, well, this doesn't prove anything in your mind. Is there any doubt that that ESPN has lost Republican viewers now that you make your living doing what you do? And you've now done a 43 market study. Is there any doubt in your mind?
8: Yeah, the the trend is clear. The data speaks for itself. Um, we did this across ESPN properties, across 43 different local markets, um, of varying shapes and sizes of, of different places in the country, and there there's an obvious there's an obvious trend. The criticism that I would make is not, is this happening? It's very clear that it's happening. It's happening. The data is abundantly clear that this is the case. The, the larger criticism is, okay, so it's happening. You can't necessarily attribute it to a certain thing. I don't have data, for example, that is saying specifically that Republican viewers are turning off ESPN. ESPN, because ESPN is becoming more political. What I do know is that at the same time that ESPN has acknowledged that they're becoming more political and more liberal in their editorializing, at the same time, Republican viewers are, are, are disconnecting, they're turning off ESPN. So the question is not, is this happening? The, the trend in the data is abundantly, abundantly clear. If people are going to be critical, and, and there's reasons to be critical of, of any study, of any analysis, it would be that you can't connect the, the causation this is simply a matter of correlation
3: how much time does it take to do a study like this like how many hours <laughs> do you think you put in to be able to produce the data that you have produced
8: So um, we at at Deep Root, we have have viewership data on over 60 different segments of the population in all 210 local media markets. So we've already done a huge amount of this legwork where we're doing constant um, large sample surveys to identify the the attitudes and the behaviors of people in this country. We're matching that back to our big in-house file of, of hundreds of millions of Americans that we're able to then segment into these different populations. We connect that all to our viewership data to produce what we we call custom TV ratings for each of those individual audiences. Um, I was able to pull this data because we had already done all of that work previously. If I included all of the work that we've already put into this and all the time that we've invested, it's, it's dozens of hours, um, if not more than that, for, for our entire team here at Deep Root. But because we've already done that work, because we have this viewership data and this segmentation data available, like we say, off the shelf. I was able to just go into our data warehouse, pull the data, spend a couple hours in it, see that there is an obvious trend, visualize it right at the piece. That's part of what we're able to do is we're able to move really quickly because we've already done all the legwork with the segmentation and producing these custom TV ratings. So anyone off the street can call me up and say, hey, I want to know how segment X is, is watching, uh, 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 watching cable or broadcast TV in any local market, and I can go pull the data and I can tell them how, how it happens.
3: What was I not smart enough to ask you? When I was a practicing attorney, David, I used to sit across people and do depositions and try to get information. And sometimes, frankly, I'm just not smart enough to know what I should have asked that I didn't ask. Is there any question out there that you wish you had been asked or any additional statement you'd like to make about this study that you didn't get the opportunity to make so far?
8: I I think about a question that hasn't been asked, and it's more of a, a larger point. We have entered into an era now. Not only is the way that people are consuming media changing, but we've entered into a new era of media measurement where we we have the data, we have observed data of what people are physically watching on TV that we can match into individuals from a national consumer or voter file to find out how different subgroups are watching TV. We now have the data, we have the technology, and we have the infrastructure to measure how certain groups in different local markets are consuming TV, whether it's partisans, whether it's someone who is likely to buy a new car in the near future, um, whether it's someone who is a, a, a regular eater of fast food, any different segment of the population, we have the data and the capabilities to measure how those people are watching TV, which then can, of course, help make advertising campaigns more efficient and effective. And so, We're we're entering a new era where we don't need to talk about TV viewership in broad generalities um with with big subgroups of the population we can be very specific and very confident in our measurement because of these new data and these new technologies so i just think that's an important point to make is that we've entered this new era of tv measurement that's a lot of what we do here at deep root analytics where we can be a lot more specific and a lot more insightful about what people are watching on tv and how viewership patterns are changing that's exactly what we're able to do with this analysis
3: outstanding stuff. I appreciate the time. I know how complex this is, and I think you've made it understandable for a lot of us. Go read the article at Outkick the Coverage that was up on Wednesday. It's still up, obviously, on Thursday as well. David Seawright, appreciate your time. Thanks, my man. That is David Seawright, Deep Root Analytics. The study is fascinating. Stick to sports or else, maybe a subtitle. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. And it's time for Hal from Portland. We had him read one ad before. He read another one. If you're just getting in your car, you're just starting your day. Hal from Portland helping to make a sense of the drive to visit Florida. Here he is. Outkick
1: the coverage and visit Florida. Have your chance to win a trip to the Coke Zero 400, powered by Daytona, July 1st <laughs> at Daytona International Speedway. Close enough. To answer for your chance to win, visit foxsports.com.
3: No, foxsportsradio.com. Hal cannot read ads, but man, if I'll be damned if that isn't entertaining. Hal in Portland, again, bringing us the Visit Florida ad. Go to foxsportsradio.com. If you want your chance right now to visit Florida and go to the Coke Zero 400 powered by Coca-Cola, that's July 1st at Daytona International, enter at foxsportsradio.com. Okay, final segment of Thursday, and you know what it is, boys. Can you cue it up the music this time? Tebow watch, come on, get on the ball. Where's the Tebow music?
0: Sorry about that. Was busy with Hal. Oh, this is Hal like it just,
3: derails
4: a, the entire show, uh,
3: The whole show falls apart. It's Tebow watch. It comes every segment. Last segment. Do we have the music yet? This, this
4: is no, no.
3: No. This is just an awful start to Tebow Watch. I have no idea what Tim Tebow did for the Columbia Fireflies last night, but I know he couldn't have possibly performed worse than L.A. when it comes to giving us the background music for Tebow Watch. Just go ahead and start, Jason Mark. Oh, here now, it is. Here, no, now, hold on. There's the music. There we go. Now remember it's monumental, ago? majestic.
4: Play, remember a couple of days ago, you came to me for Tebow Watch out of the blue, and I said he did nothing because there was a rain delay. And that became a problem. Well, good thing we didn't do Tebow watch yesterday, or two days ago rather, because there was another rain delay. Back to back, so yesterday there was a double header against the Charleston River Dogs at the Friendly Confines in Columbia, South Carolina. Game one, Tim Tebow 0 for 3, two strikeouts, did not reach base. Game two, a little bit better. Went two for two, scored two runs, average moved overall from 230 to 236. In his last 10, Tebow, this ain't real good. 7 of 32 at the plate, 11 strikeouts, the one home run, and he's hitting 219. We haven't done splits in a while. Here are some splits. Major shifts. Listen to this. Against right-handers, Timothy Richard, the almighty, hitting a nice 284. Against his fellow lefties, 94. So he does not play well against left-handed pitchers. That's insane in terms of a difference. He bats 311 in the sunshine, 195 in the moonlight, doubly effective at home than on the road that's 291 to 146 in terms of average so again two rainouts against charleston a doubleheader yesterday 0 for 3 and 2 for 2 and now the columbia fireflies let's glow fireflies are off to lexington to play the legends a three-game stretch coming up over the next three days and we'll see how timothy richard does his current average again 236 Basically sixth if you look at overall batting average for Columbia. And that is your TiVo watch for this Thursday, May 25th, 2017.
6: Thank you, Jesus!
3: Standing as always, my thanks to David Seawright. If you heard that interview, I thought it was fascinating about the polarization of sports and the impact overall. You can go check it out if you want to see the data for yourself. Go to my website, outkickthecoverage.com. It's been up. A lot of people have been able to read that. You can also read from me pretty much every day there as well. We were not on SiriusXM for the final two hours. Go download the podcast. I'll tweet it out shortly if you missed uh, the last couple of hours of the show. Hopefully, we'll have that up soon. And tomorrow, we'll be able to talk about Game 7 for the hockey. Know what the the Stanley Cup Finals matchup is going to be and probably officially be able to talk about Cavs or Warriors as I expect the Cavs to close it out tonight against the Celtics. This has been Outkick the Coverage. Thanks for spending your Thursday with us here
0: on Fox Sports Radio.